Anyway, hold your Bible up nice and high, and let's go ahead and make this declaration of our faith all together. Ready? Go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God has destined me to be or wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so that I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen and amen. Would you remain standing for just another few minutes as we go to the text from which my assignment comes today as we continue in our series, Great Prayers of the Bible. And I don't know of a greater prayer than this one. This is an amazing prayer. First Kings chapter number 18, beginning in verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for is, there is the sound of an abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. There he bowed down onto the ground and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked, and he said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And so he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. In scripture, rain is often symbolic of the breakthrough blessing of God in such a profound and abundant way in our lives that it begins to overtake every single area of our lives. And it's with that thought in mind that I want to minister to you from the subject let it rain. I want to minister to you so you get it in your spirit that God wants it to rain over everything that concerns you. God wants it to rain over your families. He wants it to rain over your relationships. He wants it to rain over your careers. He wants it to rain over your relationship with him. He wants it to rain over your coming and over your going, over your rising up and over your going to sleep. God wants to pour out his goodness in every single area of your life, God wants it to rain. And so I want to minister to you from the subject, how do I receive the rain of God in my life when I pray? Let's, let's go before the Lord. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you that as it's spoken, it will speak to the hearts of each and every person and help us to be and receive everything that you've designed for us to have. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, you may be seated. As we come to, to 1 Kings we find that Israel has been led astray by the wicked king Ahab and the even more wicked uh, queen Jezebel. And as a way of getting their attention, God tells Elijah to call for drought. He says that uh, over the next three and a half years, it's not going to rain. And the only way that it is going to rain is if you speak the word for rain to come again. And so it's hard for us to imagine what that life would have been like for three and a half years in Israel. We 
don't know what it's like to do without water for extended periods of time. Maybe the occasional power outage in the Northeast and specifically in New England, if you don't have a generator in your home and you have well water, suddenly you realize the inconvenience of not having water. You can't take a bath, you can't brush your teeth, and you know, you can't, you know, do dishes or anything like that. And so you're almost housebound for a minute because you don't want to go out stinking. You don't want to go out with smelly breath and it kind of inhibits the gospel just a little bit because you can't preach words of life with breath of death, right? Amen, somebody. And so in any case, we don't know really what it's like to be inconvenienced by not having water. But in Bible times, when they didn't have water, their entire life turned upside down. Their crops couldn't grow. Their livestock couldn't live. So food became scarce. People became dehydrated and they begin to die. Animals just falling over in the field. Everything around them brown and dried up. No vegetation, no greenery, no, 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 their riverbeds probably look like puddles. People all around fighting and rioting and doing things that they ordinarily wouldn't do because they had to survive. Neighbor rising up against neighbor. Everywhere you look, all you see is dry and barren. And it's been so long, three and a half years, that the people begin to grow accustomed to life that way. They expect to die. They, they expect to see heartache and pain all around them. And most of us cannot relate to this kind of dry season. But we can relate to dry seasons in areas of our lives. Dry seasons in our marriages where we feel like we're just living with a friend instead of a spouse. Dry seasons in our finances where there's too much month at the end of the money. Dry seasons in our careers where we feel like, you know, it's not very fulfilling and we are just going through the motions and we can't wait to not have to do this anymore. Dry seasons in our relationship with God where we don't feel his presence and our prayers don't seem to be connected. And we seem to have lost our first love. A drought, not where there is physically no water, but where there is no living water in our lives. We can all relate to dry seasons. And it's when we enter those dry seasons that we have to remember that God wants to send rain. That God wants to end those dry seasons. That he wants to pour out his goodness in our lives. That he wants to open up heaven's windows wide above us. And that God wants rain in our lives. And so it's with that in mind that we come to our story and and, and Elijah is public enemy number one because he's the one that called for the drought. Nobody likes him. The, the king doesn't like him. The queen doesn't like him. And once again, God speaks to Elijah and he says, it's time to call my people back to me. How many of you are glad that no matter how far you've gone from God, that God just doesn't leave you in that condition? That he calls you back, that he says, you know what, you can come back to me. You can get right with me. If you've gone through a dry season and you caused the dry season, God doesn't even forsake you. God will say, you know what, it's time to come back. And so he says to Elijah, he says, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to call for rain again. And so you know the whole story, how Elijah begins the process. He has this showdown with the prophets of Baal because Israel was worshiping these, these false gods. And so he, he calls for all the prophets of Baal and he calls for all of Israel. And he says, listen, we're going to see whose God is really God. You set up an altar to Baal, I'll set up an altar to God Jehovah. You call on your God, I'll call on my God. Whoever's God answers by fire, he's God. And you remember the story Baal calls, the prophets of Baal call on Baal, and he doesn't answer. And Elijah kind of taunts them and teases them a little bit. He literally says, what's he going to the bathroom? 
Literally, he's like, what, what happened? Is he indisposed for the moment? How come your God is not answering? And then he calls on God Jehovah, and you know the story. It says that God Jehovah consumes the offering. He consumes the wood. He laps up all of the, the water, and then he, he consumes even the stones. And Elijah proves to everybody that God Jehovah, he is God. And then as Israel is in this place of repentance and revival, God speaks one more thing to Elijah. He says, he says, before we bring the rain, we've got to destroy the prophets of Baal. And this is the first key that I want to give you. How do I receive rain in my life when I pray? Key number one, you've got to destroy Baal in your life. What is Baal? Baal are all those things that are standing in the way of what God wants to do in our life. Baal is a type of the open doors that we have allowed the enemy to gain access into our lives from, that have blocked the blessing of God in our lives. It's a type of those things that we have said, you know what, God, we know that they're there, but we're not going to deal with them because, you know, this is just the way it is. It's those areas in our lives that we know God is saying, it's time to turn from, it's time to repent from, and we have gotten to a place in the church where we honestly believe that we can walk in the fullness of the blessings of God, but still have Baal all in our life. We have gotten to a place in the body of Christ where there has been a weak, watered-down message of the gospel that says that you can live any old way that you want and still experience the blessing of God in your life. We have been bewildered by a gospel that has said, you know what, grace is abounding in such a way that you can do whatever you want and it doesn't affect what happens in your life. But the truth of the matter is that if God is going to pour out any everything that he has for us, we've got to get to a place where we are serious about living for God. Where we understand that the word of God is still true when it says to be separate and come out from among them and live holy even as God is holy. And we are in a culture and a day and age that almost tells us that we can live and do whatever we want and still be a child of God. And God is saying it's time for the church to get back to a place of holiness. It's time for the church to get back to a place of separation and realize that God's called us to be different. We're not called to let everybody think that everything's okay. You know, you could do this and that's okay. You can do that and that's okay. Thank God for his grace. We all need it, don't we? Thank God for his mercy. We all need it, don't we? I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about a willingness on the inside of us to want to strive to please and honor God instead of an acceptance of things in our lives that we know are not of God. And if we're going to receive the rain of God's blessing in our life, we've got to destroy Baal. Second thing I want you to see here, how do I receive the rain of God's blessing when I pray? Number two, you need to pray based on God's promises. Then Elijah, verse number 41, said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of an abundance of rain. What is amazing to me about this is look at the confidence that he has. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. 
Nobody's even seen a drop of rain. Nobody's even seen anything that looks remotely like a rain cloud in the sky. But yet Elijah says, go tell Ahab, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Where did he get this confidence from? Where did he understand that, you know what, God was going to do something that defied everything that they saw in their lives and were experienced? He had a promise from God. The promise of God was, Elijah, at your word, it's going to stop raining. And at your word, it's going to come again. And God said, it's time for the rain again. And he was able to pray with such confidence. He was able to believe with such confidence because he had a promise from God. You know what? God is not obligated to fulfill our will or bring what we want to pass. But God has obligated himself to bring his promises and his will to pass in our lives. And so when we pray, if we are going to receive the reign of God's promises and blessing in our life, we've got to go get a promise. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14, that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Pastor, how do I know if something is the will of God? The word of God is the will of God. It's called the testament for a reason. What is a testament? It is the declared will of Almighty God. If you want rain in your life, you've got to go and you've got to find a promise from the word of God. You've got to say, you know what? This is what God said. And I want you to know the scripture is clear that God will bring to pass everything that he has promised. Matter of fact, in the book of Jeremiah, it says that he's watching over his word, waiting to perform it in our lives. That means God's actually looking for somebody to bring a promise to him. And so you can pray different kinds of ways. You can pray, you know what, God, do you see what's going on? God, do you, do you see the heartache that I'm going through? God, do you see the pain? When are you going to stop this, God? When are you going to intervene, God? God, you know what, this has been too long. God, life is too hard. You can pray that way. There's a kind of praying where that's appropriate for, but I've learned something about praying the promises. I've learned that there's more power in going before God and saying, God, you said that you'll meet all my needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God, you said that by your stripes I'm healed. God, you said that if I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that me and my whole house will be saved. God, you said that joy is my portion. You said that your mercy is new every morning. God, you said that you will make a way of escape. God, you said that you'll put a river in the desert and a road through the ocean. God, you said you'll renew my strength like the eagles. God, you said no weapon formed against me will prosper. God, you said you're watching over your word, waiting to perform it in my life. God, you said, God, you promised. God, this is what you declared. Something happens to your faith when you begin to pray the promises of God. Your faith is lifted. It is elevated to a place where you can latch on to what God wants to do in your life. You know, to win any war, how many of you know you've got to eventually take a stand? And the stand that you've got to take if you're battling with something in prayer is not a stand based on your emotions or your feelings. You've got to take a stand on the word of God. That's how you win in life. That's how you see the promises of God begin to uh, overtake your life. You stand on the word. And how many of you know sometimes you're standing against all the odds? 
Sometimes it doesn't look like there's going to be any rain. Sometimes it doesn't look like there's going to be any change. But you've got to take a stand on the word of God against the odds of cancer. You've got to stand on by his stripes, I'm healed. Against the odds of financial ruin, you've got to stand on. He supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Against the odds of rebellion, you've got to stand on. My kid was trained up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and they will return to it. Against the odds of divorce, you've got to stand on the word that says what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You've got to take a stand on the word of God. And the problem with us is we've got weak Christians who don't know how to take a stand on the word of God. Who don't know how to say, you know what? I'm going to stay on God's side. I'm standing on the promises that cannot fail. I'm standing on the promises when life assails. I'm standing on those promises. Elijah was able to pray like that because he was standing on those promises. And you know what I love about Elijah? Elijah believed the promises of God so much that he went on the record. He said, go tell Ahab. And Ahab was playing for the other team, y'all. He wasn't on Elijah's side. And it's amazing to me how he declared, he went on the record with the other team that this is what God is going to do. How many of you know if you want a breakthrough in your life, if you want to get some rain as a result of your prayers, you need to not only take a stand, but you need to go on record. You need to let the enemy know that no matter what you see on the outside, you are believing what God said despite the evidence that's against you in your life. You may see, you may hear or see sickness, but you hear on the inside. He said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I hear healing. You may see financial lack, but you need to say, you know, I see the provision of God on the inside. There is a sound that you hear in your spirit. God begins to talk to you. There's a voice that comes up on the inside when you base your prayers on the word of God. Some of you need to Take a stand on the word of God. Number three, if you are going to see the reign of God's blessing in your life, you need to embrace the power of prayer. We've talked about this a little in our series, but so many people see prayer as like a feeble attempt, you know, by the overwhelmed to cope with their circumstances. And that's how most people think about prayer. Well, I'm so stressed out. You know, nothing's working in my life. Everything's going wrong. Can't, can't hurt to pray. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is not a weak position by the feeble-minded or by those that, you know, can't take life anymore. Prayer is a battle position. Prayer is where you and I invite the presence of God into the circumstances. Prayer is where you and I exchange all of the turmoil of life for the tried and true principles of the Word of God. Prayer is where God gets involved in our circumstances. Prayer is earthly license for heavenly intervention. Notice what Elijah does. First Kings chapter 18 verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went to the top of Carmel. And there he bowed down to the ground. He put his face between his knees. What is a grown man doing with his face between his knees? Why is that the picture that God gives us? If you've been in a delivery room, 
with your spouse as they've given birth to your children, you know that when the contractions become real, real hard, what does a woman do? She bears down. And when a woman bears down, what happens usually is her knees get a lot closer to her head than they ever were before, right? She bears down. Her face kind of goes between her knees. In other words, what God is trying to tell us is that prayer is the place where we birth the promises of God. Prayer is the place where we push through. Prayer, prayer is the place where we go past the blockages, where we fight and we do war, where we give life to what God wants to do in our lives, where we don't sit back and say, well, maybe this will happen, but where we actually put on our battle attire and where we go into spiritual warfare. We said, if God has destined for us to have this, we are going to go to war and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Prayer needs to be embraced as a powerful place. And so many of us, we, we embrace it as, you know, just this, this maybe it'll work kind of place. Prayer is a war that you are entering into. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. You don't go into prayer to war for God to do something. God's already decided that every promise is yes and amen. Did you ever read that in the Bible? Notice God didn't say one of his promises was a no. He said all my promises are yes and amen. You don't have to wear God down in order to get a promise, but what you do have to do is do battle with the enemy because the enemy wants to block what God has for your life. And here's what will happen as you go through the process of praying. The enemy will get begin to make a lot of noise, won't he? He'll begin to say that ain't going to happen and this ain't going to happen and this circumstance ain't changing and that circumstance ain't changing. But notice what Elijah did. He put his face between his legs. When that happens, your knees cover your ears. You know what prayer does? Prayer helps you to block out the noise. Prayer helps you to tune in to the voice of the Holy Spirit because I promise you there will be noise that tries to distract you from the promises of God. Embrace, if you want to see the reign of God, embrace the power of prayer. Number four, you need to expect God to answer. You need to expect God to answer. First Kings chapter 18, verse 42. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And there he bowed down on the ground and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. You've heard me say this before, but I'll share it again because I think it's a good illustration. You remember back in the day when Domino's pizza was the rage? And it was the rage not because it's good pizza because it's pretty bad pizza. No slight to Domino, but it's not great pizza, right? I mean, there's a lot of pizza that's way better than Domino's pizza. But the, but the charm of Domino's pizza was their marketing routine. And their marketing routine was that we'll get it to you 30 minutes or less, otherwise the pizza's free. Right, so you remember doing that back in the day, and you know you call up because you wanted your pizza quick, and they'd say, "Okay, it's five thirty-seven. Your pizza will be there by six oh seven. Otherwise, it's free." And do you remember what you and I did when Domino's told us they were bringing the pizza? We got ready for it. We put the paper plates out on the table. We told the kids, "Hey, yo, we eating in thirty minutes or less." Right? We we went and looked back and forth at the door, see when the Domino's man was coming. We put out the two-liter bottle of soda. We put out the red pepper flakes, and maybe you like garlic powder on 
on your pizza. You got everything ready on the table. You were fully expecting Domino's to deliver their pizza in 30 minutes or less, didn't you? Matter of fact, you didn't have, you didn't know the person who took your order. You called it in. You had no relationship with that person on the other line. You didn't know the franchise owner. You didn't know anybody who was in back. You didn't know the chef. You didn't know the cook. You probably didn't know the delivery boy who was probably some kid in high school or college looking to earn some extra money. But despite the fact that you had no relationship with any of those people, they told you your pizza would be there 30 minutes or less and you begin to change what was happening in your house in expectation that you were going to get your pizza. Now here's my question for you. Is God not more reliable and trustworthy than the Domino's cook, than the Domino's franchise owner, than the driver of the Domino's uh, car? Is God not more trustworthy? See, we need to understand that if we are going to receive the reign of God in our lives, we've got to expect that God's going to do what he's promised in our lives. Jesus put it this way, Mark eleven twenty four. He said, therefore, when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have what you prayed for. Notice, when you pray. You know when most people believe? After they receive. If you're waiting to believe till after you receive, you will not receive like you should receive. Because what God is saying is, I want you to trust me. How many of you know God is so trustworthy? All throughout the scripture, God was trustworthy. Noah trusted him, and he kept his family safe in the ark. Abraham trusted him, and at nearly a 100 years old, he had a child. Joseph trusted him. He was raised from the pit to the palace. Moses trusted him, and he parted the Red Sea. Daniel trusted him, and he slept in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ago trusted him and he protected them in the fiery furnace. David trusted him and a giant went down. Joshua trusted him and the walls of Jericho fell. Samson trusted him and he defeated the Philistines. Rahab trusted him. Her life was spared. Mary trusted him. The Messiah was born. Peter trusted him. He walked on water. Paul and Silas trusted him. He shook the prison. God is saying, if you want the rain in your life, if you want to receive Answers to prayer, you need to trust me. You need to believe that if I promised it, I'll bring it to pass in your life. Well, what if I don't believe, Pastor? Build your faith. How do you build your faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So every time you go to prayer, we're teaching you how to pray today. How to pray not just anyway, but to get results, right? How do we get the rain? Every time you go to prayer, you don't go empty-handed. You go with promises. You take a minute before you pray, and you say, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? And you get those promises before your eyes, and you go and you base your prayer on those promises. You put your name right into those prayers. By his stripes, Frank is healed. By his stripes, 
All Frank's needs are met according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You put your name right in there. Beloved, I wish, Frank, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. You put your name in there. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is Frank's strength. Your strength will rise. Your strength will come as the eagle's wings are mount, as an eagle mounts up on his wing. Frank's strength comes and it mounts up just like the eagles do when they mount up in their wings. What you've got to do is put your name in there. Base your prayers on the word of God. What happens? Your faith begins to rise. Your expectation begins to rise. It's been said before that the atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. In other words, if you want God to do a miracle, you need to create an environment for God to work in. What is that environment? Expectation. What do you believe in God for? Number five, if you want to see the reign of God in your life, you need to persist until you see the promise. First Kings chapter 18, verse number 43. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And so he went up and looked, and he came back and he said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Do you get the picture? Elijah's got this promise from Almighty God. He is so convinced that it's going to come to pass. There's not been rain or any sign of rain for three and a half years. He looks at his servant. He said, now is the time. Go up over the sea and look for some rain clouds because that's where they're going to form. And so you got to imagine that the servant is kind of hype a little bit because this is Elijah who just called down fire from heaven. So if Elijah tells you it's going to rain, you're like, all right, I, I kind of believe it because, you know, I mean, you just called down fire from heaven. By the way, your faith is affected by those you hang out with. The problem with some people is they're hanging around doubt and unbelief so much that they can't ever get into a place of faith. But notice this was Elijah. He just called down fire from heaven. He said to his servant, go up and look. Now, if his servant hadn't been hanging around Elijah, imagine if somebody off the street said, you know, you need to go up and start looking for rain because I believe it's going to rain any minute. He would have looked at that person like they had 10 heads and said it hadn't rained for three and a half years. Look at the sky. It's full of sun. But Elijah said it. And because Elijah said it, his faith was affected and he went. And he goes, and you gotta believe he's hype. Gotta believe he's expecting some big rain clouds. Comes back and he says, uh, sorry boss, there is nothing. And Elijah says, go look again. And the guy runs back a second time and he looks and he comes back and he says, sorry boss, there is nothing. And Elijah says, go look again. Sorry, boss, there is nothing. Go look again. Sorry, boss, there is nothing. Go look again. Sorry, boss, there is nothing. Look again. Sorry, boss, there is nothing. By the way, can I speak to people right now who have heard those words more times than you want to? There is nothing. Three little words that are sent into our life to cause us to quit on God. To cause us to believe that God is not going to answer. Three little things, words that the enemy sends into our life to stop us from 
birthing the promises of God in prayer. There is nothing. There is no change in the medical report. There is no change in the financial situation. There is no change in the marital relationship. There is no change in what your kids are doing. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. But can I tell you the secret of turning nothing into something? Go again. Keep on persisting until you see the promise. Go again. Go again. Go again. Go again. Go again. Go again. Believe again. Pray again. Sow again. Put your faith out there again. Go again. What I love about this is six times he went, but it was on the seventh time that he finally saw something. Do you know what six is on the clock? It's the midway point. I think it's so significant. It takes just as much energy to go back to the beginning as it does to forge ahead. Do you know what happens with most people? They don't even know that they're on six in their life because they've worked and they've prayed and they've pushed so hard and they've made progress, but they don't know where they are in their progress. And so the enemy convinces them to go back. They don't realize that that's just as much energy as standing in faith. And what is God saying? What if... Joshua didn't say, or Elijah didn't say, go look again. He would have never saw the evidence that God was moving. What if Joshua told the children of Israel, we've marched six times already. We haven't seen any difference. We might as well stop now. I want you to know there is a power in persisting. And the persistence is not to move the hand of God. We have gotten so warped in our theology. We don't realize the power of the cross. We don't realize that what the cross means is that God wants to. Let me say that again. I know it's, it's, it's a little you know, heavy in here right now and I need to pierce something, but we don't realize that the cross means God wants to. And so oftentimes in prayer, what is happening is we are fighting to figure out, is God going to do this? Does God want to do this? We don't realize what that cross means. That cross is where Jesus said, my decision to give you everything in the covenant has already been made. My decision to back every one of my promises has already been made when I spilt my blood. I ratified that covenant. I can't do anything more than what I've already done. I've said all my promises are yes and amen because of that covenant. You don't pray persistently in order to wear God down and in the Bible there's a parable just goes to show you how warped we are in our theology in the parable parable Jesus it's in Luke chapter 18 Jesus said men ought always to pray and never to cease and then he tells a parable he said there was this unjust judge and there was this little widow lady and the unjust judge wouldn't give the little widow lady what she wanted Because in Bible times, if you know anything about the court system, if you had no money, you couldn't get an answer to your case. The courts were packed, and the people that got up to the front were the people who could buy their way up to the front. And this was a widow woman, and widow women in Bible times were destitute. 
And so they had nothing. So there was only one way that this widow woman could get that unjust judge to hear her case. And that means she had to be persistent. She had to keep coming. She had to bother him. She, she was dismissed the first time. She showed up the next day. She was dismissed the second time. She showed up the next day. She was dismissed the hundredth time. She showed up the next day. And there she was right in front of that judge until finally that judge said, give her whatever she wants. She's bothering me too much. That's the parable. Can I give you the interpretation of the church? The interpretation of the church is, well, that's us praying to God. That is sad. That means that Jesus said his father is unjust, and that means that you have to pry something out of God's hands. That's not what Jesus was saying. What was Jesus saying? The reason why you persist has nothing to do with moving the hand of God. It has everything to do with moving the principalities and powers. It has everything to do with moving the unjust forces that are in your world. Go again. Pray again. Look again. Stand again. Quote a promise again. Not because God doesn't want to do it for you, but because the enemy is holding back your answer. Go again. Goes again. Do you notice what happened? This time he comes back the seventh time. He said there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. When I picture the story, by the way, you could do this. This is not necessarily biblical or unbiblical, but I picture the servant coming back. He's, he's like exhausted. He's like, sorry, nothing. Elijah says, go again. And the servant's probably thinking to himself, I ain't going to be running back a hundred more times on this thing. He goes, he looks, comes back, he says, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. I wonder if he just made that up. That's just me, right? Probably telling Elijah, you know, I I ain't going to go anymore. But how many of you know that was all the evidence that Elijah needed? There is a cloud the size of a man's hand. Now, to a regular person, they wouldn't have seen that as a sign of rain because there are two ways that the enemy stops you from getting rain in your life. One is when it's invisible, there is nothing. The other is when it's insignificant, it's only a little. Has the enemy ever played that in your life? There is nothing or that's too insignificant to make a change. But how many of you know what faith is? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so when you see just a little, that's a sign that God is getting ready to send rain in your life. And what you've got to do is you've got to latch on. You've got to see with the eyes of faith. Faith is one on the invisible stage. Faith is one on the invisible stage. What, have I, what I mean by that? Your battle will never be fought with your eyes. Your battle will always be fought in prayer with your spiritual discernment. And so he said, that's a sign right there. It's getting ready to rain. Keep persisting. Do you know what happens when you persist? When you persist, you weaken what, when you are persistent, you weaken what is resistant. Have you ever noticed that in life? Everybody goes on a diet, right? Sometime or another, you're going to go on a diet in your life. And you work really hard, and you lose like one pound. And you're like, what good is that? But if you do it again, 
then that one turns into two. And if you do it again, that two turns into four. And if you do it again, that four turns into eight. And if you do it again, that eight turns into 16. If you do it again, that 16 turns into 32. All of a sudden, people start looking at you going, oh, look at you. Look at you. You look like a totally different person again. Why? Not because you got quick results, but because you kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. And the compounded effect of doing the same right thing over time begins to make a big difference. What is God saying to us? Persist in the principles of the word of God. Not just go look again, but when you see something that is small and insignificant, understand that I am a God that can take little things and turn them into big things. With five loaves and two small fishes, guess what he did? He fed a group of 5,000 families. Persist. Lastly, this morning, as we prepare our hearts to go about our days. Number six, say it until you see it. If you're going to see the reign of God in your life, you've got to say it until you see it. These are principles of faith. A lot of times we don't get results in our prayers because we are praying without the principles of the word of God. Say it until you see it. First Kings chapter 18, verse 44. Go tell Ahab to get in his chariot and go home, otherwise the rain will stop him. This is amazing. He has saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. You know what he says? He says, you better go tell Ahab right now. He doesn't get off this mountain. His chariot wheels are going to get stuck in the mud. It's going to rain in here, and it's not going to rain in here just a little bit. It's not going to be a sprinkle. It's not going to be a sun shower. It's not going to be a five-minute something or other. It is going to be a deluge. You better go tell Ahab right now that it's getting... This is a laughable declaration. If you consider the facts and you consider what's coming out of his mouth, you would think that Elijah has gone crazy. But one of the things that I recognize about faith and people who get rain in their lives is they declare the promises of God in situations that look like they're definitively going in the opposite direction. You remember what David said when he stood before Goliath? David was a kid. Goliath was a man of war ever since his youth. Goliath is covered in armor from head to toe. He's got a spear that's bigger than David. David has got a slingshot, some sticks, and some stones. Matter of fact, Goliath looks at David and said, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks and stones? You know what David said? He said, Guess what I'm going to do? This day the Lord is going to give you into my hand, and I am going to take your head from you. I'm going to cut it off and take it from you. David was declaring what God said no matter what the situation looked like. Do you remember what happened in the Bible? When Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing before the fiery furnace. You remember that? The king said, you need to bow right now, otherwise we're throwing you in. They looked at the king. They said, king, listen, we're not bowing, but we want you to know that if you decide to throw us into the burning fiery furnace, the God that we serve is able to save us from even the burning fiery furnace and deliver us from your hand. What was he saying? He was saying, you know what? I'm sticking what God says. No matter how hot the situation looks, no matter how improbable the situation looks, I am going to say it until I see it. Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. She was at the point of death. She was still alive. As he's going, word came from the house. They said, you don't need to come anymore. She's dead. 
Jesus got to the house. He saw everybody crying and weeping. Here's what he said. He said, why are you making such a fuss? She's not dead. She sleeps. Here's my question. Was Jesus delusional? Was David out of his mind? Was Elijah in la-la land somewhere? Or were they practicing a spiritual principle? And the spiritual principle is that what we speak out of our mouth, when we put in our mouth the promises of Almighty God, begins to affect and change the circumstance and situation. Because the Word of God has power. By His words, He created the heavens and the earth. By His words, He created the sun. By His words, He created the moon. By his words, he created the stars. By his words, he created the ocean. When you put his word in your mouth, it begins to move circumstances. It begins to change circumstances. When you pray, if you want to see rain, you've got to say it until you see it. Jesus said, that's how you pray. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he says shall come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he says. Say it. Say it. Say it. That's how you see the circumstances change in your life. Notice how the story ends. First Kings chapter 18, verse number 45. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and the wind and there was a heavy rain I love this portion of the text it says now it happened do you know that should be the norm for the believer now it happened there's so many people that are stuck in there is nothing that they've lost faith in now it happened. God wants you to trade your nothing for now it happened. God wants you to get to a place in your life where your prayer life is so powerful that the outcome is a now it happened. And notice how it happened. Now it happened and how it happened. I want you to notice that God not only brings it to pass, that's what faith is by the way, Faith is the full expectation that God will do what he's promised. That's why the Bible starts off the definition of faith with now faith is. Now it happened. Matter of fact, I just feel it resonating in my spirit right now. Some of you need to get to a place where you are. your expectation is changed from a nothing to a now. From a nothing to a now. From a nothing to a now. Now it happened. Now it happened. Now it happened. Now it happened. But I also want you to notice how it happened. The clouds or the sky became black with clouds. In other words, this wasn't just a small move. This wasn't just a minor blessing. This wasn't just a tiny shift. This wasn't just a sprinkle in one direction. Thank God for small things, by the way. 
I've learned to rejoice in the small things because the way that I treat the small moves of God determine how I'll experience the big moves of God in my life. And so I'm grateful for the small things, but I've gotten to a place in my walk with, with God that I'm not happy with just small things anymore. And I don't mean that to say not content because in whatever state I'm in, I am content. I've learned to be, Christ is my all sufficiency. But when it comes to my prayer life, I've learned that God is pleased when I ask him to do big things in my life. That he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think. That God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That God wants me to come to him with the expectation that he can move a mountain. That God can open up the heavens and pour out a blessing. That there's not room enough to receive. That God can walk in a fiery furnace with me. That God can split the oceans. That God can multiply loaves and fishes and feed 5,000. I've come to the place in my walk with God where I'm not expecting just a now, but I'm expecting a real good how. I'm expecting God to bless me and bless me indeed. I don't want some half-baked, just partial blessing. I want everything that God has for me in my life. I've gotten to a place in my life where I'm expecting rain. I've gotten to a place in my life where I'm saying to God, let it rain, God, in my family. Not just a little, but a lot. Let it rain, God, in my dreams. Not just a little, but a lot. God, let it rain in our church. Not just a little, but a lot. God, let it rain in my finances. Not just a little, but a lot. God, let it rain in my business affairs. Not just a little, but a lot. God, let it rain in my 